three historic nonprofit organizations are moving forward under the same name with the introduction of Copper Shores Community Health Foundation. The name represents all services, programs, and opportunities offered by Portage Health Foundation, Dial Help, and Copper Country Senior Meals. While there's a new name, the mission remains the same, to positively influence a healthful community through enhanced philanthropy and collaboration. The combined effort will lead to better opportunities to identify and fill gaps in services and programming in Barraga, Houghton, Keweenaw, and Onsenoggin counties. Visit coppershores.org to learn more. And once again, good Sunday morning and welcome to Copper Country Today. I'm Todd Van Dyke. Our program is brought to you by the Copper Shores Community Health Foundation. You can learn more about them at coppershores.org. As we air this on Sunday morning, our kids are going to be heading back to school within just the next couple of days. And of course, as they get back to school, they get exposed to things that maybe they haven't over the summer. And they get into a new routine, so things change around a little bit and it's an opportunity for them maybe to pick up a little bug get a little sick and we'd like to avoid that so shannon handler who is a nurse practitioner with aspirus keweenaw joins me we'll talk kids health for a few minutes here shannon welcome to the program hey it's good to have you here uh, i want to start with just a couple of general things because as we record this on tuesday i am suffering from a nasty cold and the first thing that everybody says to me when they hear me talking and sneezing with my cold have you been tested for covid and I say, well, no, I haven't been tested for COVID because this doesn't present like COVID. When should someone get tested for COVID? Um, well, Todd, the recommendation for COVID testing is still sort of similar to what it had been last year. If you've got fever, sore throat, or you present with a cough, or body aches, it's good to get one of those home test kits and actually just test. They're really easy to use and um, very, they're pretty accurate. Um, so that way you just kind of have a good idea right away, if, especially if you have a fever, um, whether to quarantine or not. It's still the five days um, and start, sort of starting to go around again. So I guess it is on our minds, but it's not the only thing going around. Um, no. And I, so if it's negative, then it's negative, and you you know might have something else still. But Yeah, I, I think I have something else that has been going around, and so I'm, I, I'm quite confident it's not COVID. But then the second thing people have said to me is, have you been to see the doctor yet? When someone gets something like I have, how do you know when it's time to go see someone like yourself? Sure. Um, we generally say if you... Do some home remedies, um, things like rest, good nutrition, um, and kind of lower sugar, getting enough sleep, um, keeping yourself warm so you're not out in the cold or out in the rain when you're sick, trying to give your immune system a chance to, like, work um, for a couple of days, and it's not helping. That's generally a time to come see somebody. Or if you're feeling quite ill to where you can't take in fluids, um, then that would be a time to come see somebody. Or if you're someone who has a low immune system for some reason, maybe you're on some medicines or you've got um, a bad heart issue or a bad lung issue, that would be a reason maybe to go see someone earlier than the, you know, than the try it at home for a couple days first. Um, but most of the time, our bodies are meant to see a virus, neutralize the virus, 
and move on. Although there's lots of viral infections that do last, you know, the 10 to 14 days, and the coughs in some of those can last even longer. Those are normal, and they're not going to, you know, be stuck with a cough forever or anything like that, but people feel like they should be better in three days. Um, it's not a bad thing if you feel like you're not getting better and you're not sure, um, especially if you have any underlying health conditions, just to have it checked out. Yeah, better safe than sorry. You are not going to point and snicker and laugh at me if I come in and you wind up saying, oh, it's just a cold, you'll be over it in a few days. Absolutely not. So hopefully by the time this airs on Sunday, after we record it on Tuesday, I will be much better. And if I'm dead, I probably should have gone to see you, right? <laughs> There's usually some steps between having a cold and sniffles and sneezing and dying. So yes, well, I think you're probably safe. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for that. Now let's get to the subject at hand. Our kids go back to school in a couple of days. Our kids, for the most part, have been probably pretty isolated for the summer. I mean, they may have been out playing with some other kids from time to time, but they're not in that intensive atmosphere like they're in at school with uh, 20, 25 other kids around them in class every day and a bunch more in the gym and the cafeteria. Uh, if bugs are going around, is this a time that kids may be ready to catch them? Um, yes. So there's lots of things that can play into immune response, and one of them is stress. Um, and so kids are maybe a little nervous for their first day of school. They may not know, you know, if their friends are in their class, or they may not know how their teacher's going to react, or how they're going to feel when they sit in that classroom. All those things kind of go into their heads and make them feel a little bit anxious when that anxiety happens. It makes some of our hormones kind of um, more prepared to fight, flight, or freeze and less helpful to actually fight uh, or boost our immune response. Um, and so we know that people's immune response might be a little lower when they're in a stressful situation. And I, you know, the counsel, of course, is that a couple of weeks before school, you should start be getting the kids back in the routine of when they go to bed, when they get up, and that kind of thing. But I'm sure that doesn't happen in a lot of households, and I'm sure that means that kids are going back to school with perhaps not the kind of sleep they should have gotten, and uh, they're a little bit off off kilter anyway. Yeah, sleep is probably one of the best um, healers of most things. Like, we know um, people's um, attention is better when they've had enough rest. Their bodies are rested and refreshed. Their energy is better. Um, one thing we say at our house with our kids is, what's going to get your energy up? It's not, you know, sitting and watching TV. It's actually sleeping. Um, and so actually going to bed and <laughs> sleeping and making that a priority is something that um, we, we really need to embody and to really... Um, help our kids do well, like making sure our houses are not um, super loud at bedtime, making sure there's not a lot of um, stressful, anxious conversations happening right at bedtime. Um, that's maybe not the time to be checking your child's backpack and yelling at them that they didn't give you the folder that they should have given you and that you need to get their homework done that minute. That's not going to help them fall asleep. Um, maybe not going into... Um, huge, like, sugary snacks right at bedtime. Um, those things are not necessarily going to help the kids stay asleep well or sleep deeply. So they need, like, that restorative sleep where they have nice deep sleep where their brains kind of cleanse. Um, so we have a couple 
layers to our sleep. We have like a lighter sleep when we first fall asleep. Sometimes people even are aware of their surroundings when that happens. Like they can hear and see things around. Um, So they might hear things going on and say they're not asleep. But actually, if you had them hooked up to a monitor, they would be showing sleep waves. Really? Yep. So that's a light sleep. And that can have a couple of stages. Um, And that's important. We need that to get into our deeper sleep. Now, our deeper sleep is where our brain is refreshing. That's helping, you know, cleanse out all of the synapses and making things um, click for the next day. Helps us to be able to, like, function and focus on things and complete tasks. That part of sleep is very important. So if you're not getting into a deep sleep because you might have a sleep disorder like sleep apnea or something, um, you're not actually using probably your full brain as much as you could be. So kids need to hit a little bit of light sleep before they can hit deep sleep. So if they're not sleeping long enough, that part of their brain is not happening either. So they need to get long enough sleep as well. Um, so we do recommend for three to five-year-olds, 10 to 13 hours of sleep at night when they're getting up, you know, six to 12-year-olds, we're looking at nine to 12 hours. And teenagers, we still need, you know, eight to 10 hours sometimes of sleep. Um, and when you're not getting enough sleep, we can see definitely some mood swings happen because their bodies don't feel good and their brains don't feel good and they just need that restorative. So, Well, and it, we affects, have- it affects their studies as well. If you can't concentrate appropriately at school, if you can't concentrate appropriately on homework when you're doing it because you haven't had appropriate sleep, your grades fall. Right. Yep. So how do I get my child to sleep? Uh, does reading in bed help? Does turning on the television on a timer help to get them to sleep? Or are those things detrimental? Sure. Um, it kind of depends on the families. Some people do really well with um, timers on their on their screens, and some people um, don't necessarily. You, as a family, generally trying to limit screen time right before bedtime is there's a bunch of research about that being very useful because it turns on part of the pituitary gland that tells us when we should be sleeping, um, which we want that to not be turned on. We want that to be helping us fall asleep. Um, So those screens um, with blue lights actually trigger that part of the brain, and we don't want that on. So we want those screens kind of out of our kids' hands, you know, an hour to even a half hour before they're trying to go to bed. So something else that's also relaxing might be a book. Um, It might be just a talk, like talking to our kids. It might be singing. It might be um, just kind of being together and telling stories about our day, but just in kind of a calm way where the lighting might be turned a little lower. Again, we're trying to not stimulate that pituitary gland. So like your brightest light in your house probably shouldn't be your kid's bedroom. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Um, when you're up and trying to get them to fall asleep. Um, and then if you have a process like um, that you always do every night, usually that helps the body kind of unwind where it's just like a muscle memory thing. You know, we go up and we brush our teeth and we, you know, get our pajamas on and then we go lay down and we, you know, read a book for 10 minutes or something. However, you have that set up, um, doing it pretty similarly most nights is 
super helpful because that helps your body's muscle memory kind of turn on and you don't have to work as hard to fall asleep. Now, our bodies know how to fall asleep. That's not usually the problem. Our bodies will do that. Our brains are kind of the ones in the way of like yeah. being stimulated and turned on to whether we are comfortable to fall asleep or not. So we're trying to make our kids comfortable to where they feel safe and where they feel um, calm and where they can actually feel like they can shut their eyes safely. This puts a responsibility then on us parents to create this environment and recreate it consistently every evening, doesn't it? Yes. If we're staying up more than about an hour out of our regular range, you're going to have some sleep troubles up to two days later. So if you're having a later night, really it should be more like a Friday night if you can plan that ahead as a parent because they will need both Saturday and Sunday to get back on schedule. Talking with Shannon Handler, who is a nurse practitioner at Aspirus, there have been products that I've seen advertised recently that, frankly, kind of are ringing warning bells in my head. I'm seeing sleep aids for kids. Um, NyQuil, I think, has come out with something. It's supposed to be a, a version for kids to use. Moms and dads give it to them before bed. Good idea? Necessary idea? Um, in general, we try not to medicate sleep for kids because then it's more sleep sedation rather than actual restorative sleep. Um, but I think that they should probably talk to their providers about what might be going on for them. So there's a difference between me falling asleep naturally and me taking one of these quote-unquote natural sleep aids that kind of forces me to sleep? Um, yes. So... <clears throat> It depends a little bit on what's going on, but some, sometimes those can be not great for um, getting your deep sleep and your REM sleep happening. Okay, because yeah. I certainly notice as an adult, if, I, if I'm sick and have a cold and I take NyQuil at night, I sleep, but I don't wake up refreshed like I do if I've slept normally. So that the, Medicaid indu the med medical-induced sleep, probably not as healthy for kids and uh, probably not something we should be doing on a regular basis then, I guess. Let's, right. bring, let's bring the kids off to school now. Um, you mentioned that COVID is experiencing a little bit of a resurgence. I was doing a little reading this morning about a new brand that has come out with a whole bunch of different variants and seems to be maybe a little resistant to the uh, shots that we have had already, and they're working on getting a new shot uh, put together for it. How worried should a parent be about COVID as kids go back to school? Um, so that's a tough one because we don't really know with the new variant if there's going to be something new that we haven't seen before. However, most kids up here have had exposure to COVID now multiple times. And every time our bodies see that, they do make antibodies. And kids make them better than adults. We know that. Um, and so we do give our kids a booster with, like, immunizations, for example. Um, but we're not sending them into, you know, the COVID um, landscape that we had when it first came out because, our bodies have seen variants of it now, so it's not quite the same as never having seen it before. Um, so the newer immunizations, they're not out yet, I guess, that I've heard, but um, you would do that sort of similar to if your child was going to get a flu shot. Like, we don't like being home with our kids that are sick for 10 days. Um, <laughs> no, we don't. I don't. 
<laughs> my kids are miserable when they're sick. Um, and so in my instance, like I will probably have my kids vaccinated. I, it, it's not necessarily in my mind um, for my kids that they are going to, you know, die from COVID at this point. They've had it and it's awful. It's <laughs> like, I don't want to revisit that again. Um, these vaccines are safe. They're very effective. Um, I've seen kids who've gotten actual COVID and end up, you know, really, really sick. We, we see the worst of the worst when we're in healthcare. So like, but we have to remember that like some kids, you know, are going to be fine. So. Well, and there's a secondary implication to this as well. Okay, uh, little Johnny or little Janie bring COVID home from the second grade and they're prepared to handle it, but there's grandma and grandpa and they get it and now you've got a better, pro- a bigger problem. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a secondary protection that's important too with these vaccines. And uh, you can reiterate uh, what I certainly, everything that I have read, and there's been so much controversy about these vaccines, but they certainly seem to be safe and reasonably effective. Yes. Mm-hmm. What about the other vaccines that kids should be having? I read a report the other day that a few years ago, 75% of our kids in Michigan were getting vaccinations for measles and mumps and whooping cough and tetanus and things of that nature. And that's down to about two-thirds now. Is that a growing concern? Very much. Um, the vaccines we've had for even, you know, 50 years, those ones, um, suddenly people are like, oh, not my kid, um, which is a little bit intriguing to us in healthcare because it's like, well, these were you know, developed to prevent your kid from dying or getting, you know, polio lung. Like we have patients who, you know, cannot walk now because they had polio when they were kids. It's not a benign problem. Like if it comes back, we're going to be not a great community um, and able to handle all this, these problems. Like, however, um, we are hopeful that children... Um, enough children do get vaccinated to at least continue our herd immunity as most as we can. Um, yeah, because I, I was born just in time to get the first round of the polio vaccine. I remember, though, the fear that my mother had of that disease getting to myself or my sisters. Uh, there was a public swimming pool in the town where I grew up. We could not go swim there because that was one of the ways that polio was transmitted, was through swimming pools. And the, just the petrified fear that your child would get polio. I went through mumps and measles and all of those uh, uncomfortable childhood diseases, which kids don't have to get anymore, and the complications that come with them. And I guess for those of us who are my age who saw all of that, it's a real mystery to me why parents aren't getting these vaccinations taken care of. Right. Um, one of the ones we get asked about kind of often is the um, chickenpox vaccine. And they say, well, I had chickenpox. And I, I guess the interesting thing that we are seeing since the chickenpox vaccine came out is those kids don't get shingles. So <laughs> yeah. they don't have the lifelong problem that, you know, we all that had chickenpox are going to have to deal with forever and have to get another vaccine to prevent eventually. Like they don't have to do that because they didn't have to have that sickness. So they prevent things that we see already. And it's, that one's only been out like, I don't know, 28 years or something. Um, 
But I mean, when I was a kid, parents wanted us to get chicken pox because the word was that it was easier to go through when you were younger. And once you got it over with, it was all done. You didn't have to worry about it anymore. We had chicken pox parties. Mm-hmm. Some kid had chicken pox. All the other kids would flock to the house, try to get infected so that they could get sick and get it over with. We, we didn't know what we were setting ourselves up for with shingles down the road. And to be able to not have to face shingles at an advanced age is a major blessing. Right. Yep. So get the, get the vaccines and get them taken care of. If a child didn't get started on the vaccine routine, because I know that there's a routine that they have to follow with this, uh, how do they get caught up? Can they get caught up? Um, there's actually a catch-up routine that is put out. Um, actually, they, that has been tested, and they know the amount of months between you have to wait. You still have to wait some months between to get good immunity. Um, and so that is that you have to kind of go have a discussion with your provider about it because it's um, individualized based on the age. Okay, but it can be done if if some child has reached second grade level or third grade level and hasn't had vaccines. There is a way to do it then. Yep. All right, and they can contact their provider, and provider can get that taken care of. Let's talk a little bit about nutrition. One of the things that's changing in our schools this fall and perhaps for the best, is that all children are now going to get school meals for free. This is in the new state budget. And wow, great. Yeah, this is in the new state budget. They are recommending, uh, encouraging families who are low income to still fill out the application that would be necessary for free or reduced meals because that information helps track this all and, and justify and such. But there's, there are going to be free meals for all kids in all schools. And those uh, school meals are pretty darn healthy these days, aren't they? Mm-hmm. So we don't have to worry about <laughs> packing a lunch or anything like that. You can go have the kids go and get the school meals. Uh, how big uh, an issue is that to make sure that uh, kids have breakfast and a good lunch? Sure. Um, well, so... Um, as adults, we have a little bit, uh, most, most people have a little bit more stable blood sugars. So where kids, really their bellies are entering every about two hours, two to four hours. Um, and so them maybe not having breakfast is probably not going to give them enough um, sugar. That Sugar is the one thing your brain, the only thing your brain can function with. It needs to have blood sugar in order to function. Um, we try to like manage that with other foods as well. Like we want fiber, fats, and proteins to help not spike our sugar so it's not going up really high and then crashing really low. Um, So when you're trying to have a kid who has a problem with focus, we want them to actually have more protein in their breakfast, but we want them to eat breakfast um, because that stimulates our brain to fire and to be able to you know, have one part of it talk to the other part. And when you say sugar, I'm assuming you mean some types of positive sugars as opposed to eating uh, two or three bowls of Cocoa Puffs. Right. So, um, or, or, or a Hershey bar. <laughs> right. Um, that's where the other parts really come in handy, um, like having those fats and fibers and proteins, um, not just sugar in the diet. 
Um, Because some kids, if that's all they're eating, then at least they're eating something. But did you put milk in there, right? So that's got some protein. I never did. Um, I don't know about other kids. I just liked them raw. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So trying to balance that out if you can. If you can buy Greek yogurt, that's way higher in protein than... um, than like a plain yogurt. So there's some tricks maybe as a parent. Can you like try to get them to eat an egg in the morning? Can you put peanut butter on their toast? Can you um, try to try to encourage them to get like some fruits? So the actual fruit itself, not fruit juice, but fruit itself has fiber in it. So if the fruits, if they're eating actual fruits, that's actually better for them. Um, we're trying to get some of the, all of those parts, the fats, fibers, and proteins in the kids' before they leave for school. That usually lasts a little bit longer than just a bowl of cereal. Unfortunately, it will be in the bloodstream quickly, but it's also gone in an hour. And it's stimulated their body to um, turn on, but there's nothing for it to work against. So that might give them some brain fog and make them feel tired an hour later. So if you can, try to get a little more balance in that meal when you're first sending them off. And it really is better for their brains to have something. Yeah. And the schools are going to be providing breakfasts at this point. So maybe a good idea just to let them go and enjoy that breakfast, which is probably planned out with that in mind. As we close things up here, Shannon, suppose my child hasn't been to a doctor for a while. Is this a good time to set up a well child visit? Oh, absolutely. How do you Um, do that? You just can call any of the clinics and ask for a well child. Yeah. All right. So call one of the Aspirus clinics and you can set up an appointment for your kids. Very important to have them checked and double checked because things may be going on that they're not aware of and therefore you are not aware of. Shannon Handler, thank you for your insights on Copper Country today this morning. Absolutely.